Hello and welcome into another edition of Live from West End. Today we've got another very special episode. Um, Vanderbilt Hustler's own comes back to join this join the show. Former sports editor Robbie Weinstein, now um, the Vanderbilt beat reporter for twenty four seven Sports and a member of their national news stack. We're going to talk basketball today as uh, Vanderbilt, both men and women, will get kicked off with their seasons on Monday. The men against Memphis and the women against Western Kentucky. Robbie, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It feels a little weird that, um, you know, it's already basketball season. It's like 78 degrees and sunny uh, today in Nashville, and, and they're they're about to tip off in, in four days or whatever it is. We have a beautiful week coming up. I was looking at the weather. It's going to be, like, gorgeous like this all week next week. I feel bad not playing golf every day still well into November. It's been, it's been quite the fall. <laughs> but, yeah, it's already basketball season, which, on the other hand, is um, – a welcome change after uh, another uh, another season that's continued on this this winless streak in the SEC for football. Um, so we'll start with the men. Obviously, a huge loss. Um, you lose Scottie Pippen Jr., who um, you know name and accolade he he racked it up over the past couple of years here at Vanderbilt. Now a member of the Los Angeles Lakers um, was the heart and soul of this Vanderbilt program over the last couple of years, and and a huge um, kind of you know, player in that offense in terms of just his usage rate and what he's able to do in Stackhouse's system. Um, so Vanderbilt's brought in a couple of guys to replace him as well as uh, off guard Rodney Chapman. Um, they've got Ezra Mannion from uh, UC Davis. Um, they've got Emmanuel Ansong from um, Green Bay and then a number of freshmen um, from a top 25 recruiting class that Jerry Stackhouse was able to bring in. Robbie, how do you think the the, the uh, dynamic looks for this team this year um, in, in what will be you know a different roster composition than we've seen in the last couple of years? Yeah, it's it's really going to be as different as it could possibly be. Uh, I mean, you know, last year's team was very good defensively, so I guess in terms of the strength of the team, it's going to be the same. But um, uh, they are going to have to play so so differently on offense <laughs> yeah. uh, that. Um, it's sort of hard to predict, honestly, like where they're going to end up, especially, you know, Ezra Manion has not played at this, you know, the SEC level before. Um, you know, I'm somebody who grew up a mid-major basketball fan, and so I'm not a big believer that, um, you know, guys like that can't, you know, make that jump. Like, I, I think he can do it. It's it's just that uh, the, the structure of the offense is going to be so completely different mm -hmm. that, I sort of don't know entirely what to expect other than that. I don't think it's going to be as good, probably. <laughs> um, certainly, you know, and I mean, he's not the only one. Like, they're going to need I, – I, they're going to need everybody across the board to to improve, I think. Um, but something that I'm looking at is, is they should have a very good front court. Uh, who else, you know, among the guards is going to step up? Because 
that's that's very very unclear. As I said, you know, Manion hasn't hasn't played at this this level before. Uh, Tyron Lawrence, you know, has had a so-so uh, career to this point. Certainly shown some flashes. Uh, there's not a lot of like you know Jordan Wright presumably is going to play a lot of two guard this season. They aren't super proven, and that's kind of what I'm looking at. I think that's what's going to make or break the season is just what they get from those guards. You know, because, uh, it, it, I mean, if they don't take a step back, then they could be really good. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that's a hard guy to replace, especially just in terms of how he, he – the entire offense was, you know, Scottie Pippen at times. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the entire offense, they're losing, what, 20 points a game from him. And it's going to be up to kind of the rest of the team to pick up that slack. And I don't think that it's going to be necessarily one guy steps up. I don't think that we're going to see Ezra Mignon come in and average 20 points a game. I don't think that Tyron Lawrence is going to start averaging 20 points a game. And I also don't think that like Jordan Wright, who is their second leading scorer, is going to all of a sudden step in and fill that number one role. I think we're going to see much more team effort overall from them. And one guy that I'm really excited to see from is Noah Shelby. I think he'll probably be one of the first guys off the bench in the guard room. Just looking at him, he's been a he's been a really good shooter his entire life. Um, really, really good outside the arc. I think that he can sort of provide flashes off the bench in terms of scoring that Pippen similarly provided. But I think he's a be- he's a better shooter than Pippen. Um, he comes in as a better shooter than Pippen. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. Yeah, I think I think you guys both hit the nail on the head here. I think the the big thing that's gonna make or break um, this team is is gonna be this guard play. Obviously, for the first time in a couple years, Vanderbilt's got back a really strong front court. When you think about Liam Robbins, you think about Quentin Melora Brown, Miles Studi at the four. Um, they added Emmanuel Ansong, who they who I mentioned, who's kind of a you know a junkyard dog, um, defensive minded forward. I think what it's going to come down to is is who steps up amongst these guards, like you said, Aiden. Um, and obviously, it's going to be a collective effort to, to fill someone like Scottie Pippen Jr. Um, but kind of what you said, Robbie, what level are they able to to step into that to that role at? Because obviously, no one no one in that backcourt other than than Tyron Lawrence has really played um, at this level. And I think something that that interestingly happened over the offseason and and Robbie you asked Jerry Sackhouse about it the other day you know Vanderbilt originally had a a commitment from Keontae Kennedy who who ended up at at Memphis funny enough um and and he's more in that kind of microwave two guard um really score first kind of uh role and mindset and and they lost him and replaced him with Manuel Ansong who I think has, has showed some things especially on on the Europe trip in terms of adding to this team's defensive identity um but it leaves a lot of question marks in terms of you know where the offense is going to come from on this team right yeah they're, they're different players like on song is is essentially a power forward even though right. he's he's six four uh it, it does i mean that one that one hurt for vandy um stack did not want to talk about it i legitimately don't like nobody will talk about this uh i don't know what happened i have my guesses like everyone else but uh you know to get put in that position in, in like june where you're scrambling and having to find another quality guard, like a starting caliber guard. Uh, that's pretty tough. And, you know, I'm yeah. surprised that they were even able to find anyone, you know, like on song, like anyone who averaged double figures at, at the division one level who could get into Vanderbilt uh, academically at that point. So I think they rebounded from that pretty well, but um, I, I, you know, I, I will say like, 
like the spacing is going to be really important. Uh, Manion is not really a three point shooter. Now he, uh-huh. um, he looks pretty good. Like I was at practice the other day and he looked really good shooting from the corners. It's not like he can't improve that. I don't think his jumper is broken, but, uh, they, you know, they need some guys in the backcourt that are going to be respected to some extent by opposing defenses. And uh, that's, that's something that I'm a little worried about, especially, uh, uh, early in the season for them as, as you know, these, you know, this new team kind of forms an identity on offense is, is it, it makes it a lot harder to do that when, you know, opposing defenses like Memphis are, are probably not going to be respecting your point guard and your shooting guard, uh, Tyron Lawrence, who I expect to start. I mean, I, I don't think, uh, I think Memphis is, is not going to guard those guys from three point line. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, and, something that Scotty was able to do really well last year is when you think about the makeup of the rest of these kind of guards, Tyron Lawrence is a guy gets downhill. What he does best is, is going at the rim and going straight at defenders. Jordan Wright, I think has developed um, a really nice three point shot over the yeah. last couple of years, especially comparative to where it was when he first came in. But again, another guy who kind of predicates his offense on, on getting downhill. Um, so the development of, of Mignon, um, and, and even guys like Noah Shelby and, and Paul Luce to be able to knock down shots and spread the floor, I think is is going to be a huge thing to watch, especially, uh, like you said, as we kind of go through this non-conference season. And I think it's interesting because there's certain players who um, are just never going to be great shooters at the at the college level. I mean, um, Mignon shot 20%, I believe, from three-point last year. Yep. But you have to take into account that I think one thing that Stackhouse has been able to do really, really well over his tenure is develop um, develop guys and, and specifically develop their three-point shots. I think about Miles Studi. I think about, obviously, Aaron Neesmith. Um, Scotty got a lot better three-point shooting over his three years. Jordan's gotten a lot better. Um, so there's certainly a little bit of, of credibility, I think, to the idea that that maybe he can develop a shot, like, like you've said, Robbie, um, and add another dimension to this offense because – what we re- what we know right now is that there's going to be less spacing on the on this team than there was last year offensively. Yeah, and I think one thing that kind of gets overlooked a little bit, and I'm curious to see how it sort of uh, pans out to start the season, is Liam Robbins' ability to shoot because I don't know what the spacing is going to look like in terms of an offense with Quentin Malora Brown and sure. Ezra Mignon on the court at the same time. And I'm guessing, I don't know if you guys have heard anything, I'm guessing that it'll be Robin starting just for that reason in and of itself. I think his health is going to play a, a big factor in that for sure. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I guess that that's more of a competition than I was expecting. Like, I thought mm-hmm. Robin was just going to walk in and be the starter this yeah. season uh, now that he's healthy. But that's that's the exact reason why, even though I'm not sure that they have made a final decision, maybe they have now, but they hadn't as of, like, earlier this week. Uh, I, I I really think it's going to be Robbins because, like, for two reasons. Number one, the, the fit, right? Like you mentioned, um, if you have, a, you know, two guards who shooting, you know, is really not their strength, <laughs> yeah. you got to balance that out. Um, and, and Robbins, even though career-wise he's not a great three-point shooter, I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're 32, 33% and you're a seven-foot center, right. uh, that does cause some problems because uh, even even if um, you're not shooting at 35, 36, 37%, it's awkward for other centers to go out and chase a guy like that around. And, the uh, and then, yeah, uh, and then the other reason is just that, I mean, if they're going to hit their, 
their ceiling as a team or, or, you know, come close to fulfilling the potential that they have, they need Robbins to probably be the best player or, or, you know, maybe second best or whatever. Like they need him to have a really good season and get back to where he was at, uh, at Minnesota. I, I certainly wouldn't rule him out from doing that. Uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I don't think he's just permanently fried by any means. So I, I, I think I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't start because uh, I think they know that they, they need him to, to be a great player for them. Yeah, I think where I've settled on it is that between Robbins and Quentin Melora Brown, whoever doesn't get that that final starting spot is getting that first spot off the bench. And yep. we know how much stack. Has yeah. They're all going to play a lot. I right. mean, Robbins is, is notoriously foul prone. Right. So yeah. I, I just don't know how much it meant. Like I think Lee door and um, Malik Dia, I, like they could play four centers in any individual game. Like, you, I mean, you guys know how it goes with the college basketball refs. I just love to call those, <laughs> especially, in the fouls, SEC. especially on centers. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I think, you know, who starts and who doesn't, all those guys are going to play and like Quinn Malloy Brown is, is going to play minimum 15 minutes a game, probably more. I don't have much, I don't have a lot of questions about that. Cause you know, and of course like Robbins is, is injury prone as well. So I don't think they want to run him into the ground. Yeah, totally with you. And I think, I think Malloy Brown is, is, um, you know, deservedly earned Stackhouse's trust yep. over the past two years. That was kind of my, my next question that I wanted to lead you guys to obviously, so we've got, you know, this core group of, of five to six who we think are, you know, in contention as starter or play starters minutes, essentially. What is what does the rest of the bench look like from there? And, and what contributions do we think those guys can make largely being, you know, the, this number 24 uh, overall is 24-7 sports had it uh, freshman class that's coming in? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, I, I think like I also have questions about the guard play coming off the bench yep. to some extent. Last season, Stackhouse, you know, openly acknowledged that he was searching for extra contributors there. Uh, but you know, what I do think is that their depth in you know up front is is really good. You know, my hot take, you know, for this season that I don't even really one hundred percent believe this by any means, but I think that it's realistic is that Colin Smith by the end of the season is the best player on the team and the leading scorer wow. whether he's coming off the bench. Whether he's <laughs> coming off the bench or starting or whatever, I just think um he he they need him to play well. He's he's a good player. He is the one guy, you know, Stackhouse is very um he always leans heavily on especially at the beginning of the season, playing the upperclassmen and mm -hmm. Smith is the one guy who he has said has kind of broken through that and is going to play, you know, immediately 15, 20 minutes a game. He can play uh, either forward position. He can shoot uh, defensively. I think he's, he's been based on what they've said, he's been a little bit better than I was expecting right away. Uh, so I think they're in great shape. Uh, I, you know, on song also, like, I mean, uh, Malik Dia, they're really impressed with Lee door uh, has a long way to go. I think in terms of, catching up to the speed of the game and, you know, making sure he's not in foul trouble and stuff like that. But he can, I mean, in, in the trip to France and Italy, I mean, he was playing like 10 to 12 minutes and getting eight rebounds. Yeah. So it's not like he doesn't have anything to contribute. So, I mean, if you look back at Stackhouse's first couple of teams, especially <laughs> like they had nothing in the front court, uh, just in terms of depth, Nothing. They they were so thin. Uh, they didn't have the full 13 scholarship players. They do this season. Those guys are healthy. Uh, so, I mean, that's going to be – I mean, they, they are going to be, I think, pretty good. We haven't even really talked about Miles Studi. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I mean, I think they are – they have a 
really good group of forwards and centers. I think, you know, even if Robbins doesn't have a great season, the depth there is really impressive. Uh, and so they don't need the guards to be all world, you know, because I, I just think that they've got five, six, seven or whatever guys at, at the three through five spots who are, are really quality players and would not look out of place, you know, in an SEC game. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't make me miss the days of uh, Educa Obina um, and no one else, with all due respect to Educa, you know, doing as, as much as he could out there, but having literally no depth behind him. He was, like, he was the only one. Right. right? Um, yeah. And I think that you're totally right. There's, you know, having Lee Dort, the, the highest rated recruit of that group, be kind of this developmental piece, this third center that maybe, you know, can come in and get some rebounds is a perfect spot for Vanderbilt to have him in to, to you know, develop yeah. exactly and and get some time to, to play under a robbins or, or a quentin laura brown and i think you make some interesting points about smith and i i think we just you know kind of forget he was he was a big recruit at one time i mean you know robbie he was um uh, you know ended up lower than where he had been throughout his high school career prior to that point i mean he's looking at michigan he was looking at legitimate other offers um at least you know it, it, it seemed like before he came um, and, and committed to Vanderbilt. And I always thought that that, that was a pretty good get um, for Stackhouse. And then another guy I'll add, um, again, kind of in this in this forwards and centers, centers mold um, that I've heard about a little bit over the summer, and, and he didn't play a ton in Europe, um, but someone else that Stackhouse had mentioned the other day is is Malik Dia, um, a guy who's, you know, up there, you know, 6'9"-ish, can dribble, can shoot. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he's able to add. I think for the first time, really, in the Stackhouse era, there's there's quality and there's depth along the front lines here. And I think, you know, no matter what you get from the guards, that will that will be able to give you some type of um, you know thing to hang your hat on on offense. It's sort of a weird 180, right? Because I feel like last year it was we had Quentin Malora Brown, and while Robbins <laughs> was hurt, there was really nobody to come back, and we would have like Taryn Frank or Jermaine Mann be playing that five position. And it's a completely different situation now where we don't have that much depth at guard. Whereas center, like like you said, Lee Dort being that third guy is is pretty incredible, just all things considered, because he's a four-star. And, you know, if they needed him to, he probably could come in and play. And the fact that he can just sit and just rest and, and learn is really, really good for this team. Yeah, so, um, you know, thinking about... This roster in relation to obviously the schedule and the rest of the SEC. I think um, the conference this year is is interesting. It's maybe not as deep as it's been in past year, but it's certainly top heavy. Um, you know, four or five teams in the top 15, 20 of the country right now. You've got Kentucky up at the up at the top, um, returning a number of of really strong um, players and bringing in another good recruiting class. Of course, Robbie, how do you see? This team and, and everything that we've talked about, um, kind of falling in line in the, in the SEC packing order. Yeah, I I had a vote in the preseason poll and I picked them eleventh. I actually think I would pick them as the tenth best team, but if you look at uh, I, I had them right there with Ole Miss. If you look mm -hmm. at Ole Miss's schedule, uh, the the home and homes that they got uh, <laughs> from the SEC are like incredibly. I mean, they got South Carolina. Mississippi State, of course, since that's their rival. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was like Mizzou or somebody else, like you know, Georgia, I think. They, they got the easiest possible schedule that, that any SEC team could get, uh, whereas Vanderbilt is playing Tennessee and Kentucky and Florida twice. Right. And, and I think all those three teams are going to be pretty good. Uh, so, 
you know, I, I think their upside is probably something like eighth uh, or ninth. And uh, I think their downside is maybe, I, you know, I mean, I guess the, the downside is tough to measure because, you know, I mean, if they just, this is a program that notoriously suffers a lot of injuries. And, yep. you know, I mean, if it just goes horribly wrong, I guess they could finish last, but that would be really, really, I mean, that would require, uh, you know, as bad of injury luck as, as they've had. And, and that's really saying something. Um so, you know, I mean, I know that eighth may not sound real high, but if you're eighth in the SEC this season, I think you're making the NCAA tournament because yep. the league just continues to improve. Uh, having said that, I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't expect them to be in the NCAA tournament at the end of the season. I just think there's too much um, too, too, too many questions about the guards, but uh, it, it's not a stretch necessarily. I mean, the there's a, a ranking system that kind of averages the computer rankings uh, across 10 different, you know, well-known ranking systems at the beginning of the season, or I guess they do it throughout the season as well. And Vandy is 65th. So that it's not a stretch. I think by yeah. any means to think that they could sneak into the NCAA tournament, I'm not picking that, but um, the, you know, I, I could see the path, right? Like uh, just that they are, are better offensively, than uh, most people think. Manuona has a good season. They, they shoot the ball a little bit better than expected. And they have like a top 30 or top 25 defense, yeah. which, I mean, I, I really think they're going to be pretty nasty on defense. So uh, that that part of it, I, I would be confident in if I'm Vanderbilt. Uh, offensively, I just, I think they're they're probably going to struggle. But, you know, this is where uh, Stackhouse makes his money, right? <laughs> He's pretty highly regarded as an X's and O's coach. And this is his chance to, yep. to prove it. For sure. I think it's going to be the type of thing where we're going to go game by game and we're going to need a different player to sort of give you an extra set of points every game. Like maybe one game, you know, Trey Thomas makes a few threes. Another game, Manion kind of catches th- catches fire from, from outside the arc and it's going to be a different look every game and it's just going to be who can step up, how can Stackhouse get the best out of these guys because offensively they're just not quite on the same level as some of these other SEC teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you, Robbie, too. I've been sitting kind of outside looking in with this team for a couple months now as my prediction, and it's just um, it's going to be variable, like Aiden's saying, based on a, a couple individual performances throughout the year. Obviously, <laughs> I I think Trey Thomas is a good, you know, uh, microcosm of that in terms of in terms of someone that, you know, if he goes off, they could they could win games. Then you won't see him for you know a, a month or two. So it'll really be interesting to for the first time be on the be on the inverse um, for this for this men's team. You know, the talent is there. It's about whether or not Stackhouse can can organize it and, and get it X and O's. Um, and, and like you said, you know, not um, hit the terrible injury bug. Which speaking of leads us to. Um, the, the, the women's basketball preview, Shay Ralph, I thought had a, a really, really nice season last year making, um, you know, the most out of a, a pretty barren roster. Um, and that, that roster, you know, Got even was, more was barren. right. Was, was added to this off season via the, the transfer portal and, and via, um, a good recruiting class, but already down, um, a couple of key contributors, Robbie, what's your outlook on, on this women's basketball team as it's kind of changed over the past, you know, month ish here? Yeah, I, I imagine they'll be similar to last season where they're going to be undermanned again through no yep. fault of Shea Ralphs or the coaching staffs just due to these ridiculous injuries, uh, but that they'll probably play above their heads because um, 
at least from a roster perspective on paper, because uh, it, all indications seem to be that she's a very good coach. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad for them. Like three play three starters yeah, out for the ridiculous. season due to Achilles or ACL uh, already before the season starts. I mean, that's completely unprecedented. Uh, uh, even for Vanderbilt, uh, it's just brutal. Like, I mean, Sasha Washington, I think, is going to have a great season. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Ayanna Moore impressed me so much last year, and she's a fantastic shooter. Is there going to be, you know, the spacing around Sasha Washington to put her in, in position to succeed, you know, in terms of efficiency rather than just the raw numbers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing in the post? Uh, it, it's, it's tough. Uh, Harbison, the transfer guard from, I believe, St. Louis is, is a very good player. And, you know, maybe Vanderbilt can still take a slight step forward, but, you know, you kind of go from hoping that, you know, if you're Vanderbilt, hoping that they can, that team can make the NCAA tournament to just, uh, I mean, they, they just don't have enough players available. If somebody sprains their ankle, what do you do? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, if you look back in last season, at the end of last season, you would have said that there are four starters going into the season, Brene, Alexander, Ayanna Moore, Jordan Cambridge, and Kalen Smith, and now none of them are going to be starting or playing at all this season, and that's a really tough loss. I think that it's going to you know, come down to can the transfers, like you mentioned, and maybe even some of the freshmen, like Rianne Allen and Amari Williams are both four stars. Can they come in and, and contribute? Um I believe they are projected to finish last in the in the poll, uh, in the in the media poll that was taken. I don't feel particularly optimistic about them finishing anywhere near the NCAA tournament. I think that maybe in the eleven to thirteen range is a little more realistic because I think that Shea Ralph will get the most of them. That being said, this is a pretty devastating slew of injuries, and it's going to be yeah. a lot to overcome. Yeah, yeah, I I think that I mean. You got to take it. You got to take it in context of what's what's happened this off season, and I think Robbie summarized that pretty well. Um, Shea was able to, you know, craft a a really feisty team by the end of the year last year um, with some of those building blocks that are not going to be back for this year. And um, you know, there's there's only so much he's going to be able to do with this this shorthanded roster. And if um, she is able to to turn it around into something that's that's really competitive by SEC play. I think, I think she'll be right up there with Corbin in terms of in terms of coaches on Weston that have really proved their mettle. I'm curious about you know in addition to those freshmen that you mentioned, Sasha Washington was someone who I thought emerged nicely over the the back half of last season. You know um, now she's going to have the spotlight on her. How does how does she develop? Um, is she able to make kind of that sophomore leap? And then I think another thing that'll be interesting is. You know, at least comparative to the men, the, the women don't have necessarily as difficult of a non-conference schedule. So can there be some time in there for this team to to learn to gel? Um, like you mentioned, Robbie, with some of these new transfers um, and obviously figure out the starting lineup now that, that looks a lot different than we thought it would a couple months ago. Um, so I think all, all three of us are on, on the same page in terms of, you know, maybe having our, our expectations a little lower than they were um a while ago but but still you know hoping that that maybe this team can can scrap and fight for a couple of wins um you know again on the on the predictions um Robbie how how do you see kind of this this one falling out in terms of win loss uh i i think they'll probably end up being under 500 just because yep. i i do think that they could you know they'll probably they have a good chance to come into SEC play with a winning record but uh 
you know, once you get into SEC play, you know, a very, very strong league for women's basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually, you know, in, in women's college basketball, you have 15 scholarship players instead of 13. Manorville only has nine player help, you know, healthy players on their roster. I just think when you get into SEC play, uh, you know, I mean, if another player goes down or another couple of players, like I just think it's yeah. going to be incredibly difficult. Uh, they're they're going to be playing with five or six fewer players than other teams in the league. Uh, it's just, I mean, it, it's the playing field is not level at all. It's nobody's fault, of course. So you know, maybe they can scratch their way to twelfth or thirteenth. I, I wouldn't be shocked because I, I think Shay Ralph has that team playing really, really hard and she's a good coach and, yep. and she, um, you know, prepares extremely hard herself as well. But uh, at, at some point, you know, like late in the season, I just think they're going to have heavy legs and, and uh, the, the odds are just stacked against them, in a, you know, in an awful way in terms of uh, not only, you know, the number of these injuries, but the nature of them. Yeah. I, I think you're totally on base and, um, you know, we'll just have to see. I think that that Shays are in that confidence, and and like we've said, um, you know, there's just there's just not a lot to, to work with here. But I think for the first time in a couple of years, you know, not necessarily um, looking at you know a, a last last finish for both the men and women in the preseason predictions, and I think that that's emblematic of, of the progress that's been made. Um, you know, in that area of the athletic department um robbie thanks so much again for for coming on and, and making this an annual appearance before basketball season we're really excited to, to get kicked off with our with our basketball coverage and uh excited to be sitting along with you as as the season goes on yeah thanks guys i'll see you on monday all right moving on to the wrapping up of our fall sports that we've been talking about um, for the first couple of months here on Live from West End, soccer with a huge win um, a couple of days ago against Massive. Arkansas. Um, we've got Soccer with Sam, emergency pod in here We're to back. talk about We're it. Yep. Returning. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit of football against South Carolina at the end. Um, save that one for last for today, Aiden, yeah. so we don't know. Yeah. So we can talk about some, some more positive development. Speaking of Soccer with Sam, hit us. SEC tournament win again for Darren Ambrose's squad. I was going to say this is the penultimate, but I think I think now it's pretty safe to say I feel good about making the NCAA tournament. This I think was like be the trademark this win, yeah, hundred percent. Especially um, with the loss earlier in the season, three nothing to Arkansas, coming back in uh, a big stage and advancing on penalty kicks, nonetheless. Kate Devine didn't get a minute during the game in net, but she came and uh, took the sixth penalty kick. I, that's to me that's mind boggling um, to put your goalkeeper who hadn't touched the field and I mean a goalkeeper nonetheless too and trust them to take the sixth penalty kick um but hey it worked and they they pulled out the win a huge win it's it's really emblematic of her up and down season that she like struggled at yeah. goal got benched was hurt <laughs> and then she makes this like unbelievable play to win the game um also one thing I wanted to touch on is the one goal that they did score before then I don't know if you saw it was a corner yes yeah 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 cut shawl which i feel like covers two of the things oh we talked gosh. about most which was the struggles on set pieces and Peyton cut shawls just struggles on you know converting open goals and it was really just reassuring i was so that. ready to, to talk about that all year we were just like oh my god if they can just convert on one like set piece and Maybe all these corners needed, yeah. yeah and clearly they they pulled through last year's sec tournament was 
um, if I recall, pretty amazing too. So they always seem to show up when they go down to Florida. And honestly, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I was at the Mississippi State game. They were super dominant. Mississippi State answered early, but really were never in the game. No, and it was Vanderbilt was in control the whole and time. And they're a good team. Yeah. They're yeah. a good team. Solid SEC team. And we win. moved into first in the SEC East with that win. And then flat. Yeah, exactly. They should have lost that game against Tennessee like 8 nothing. I watched the first half. Tennessee probably missed four or five goals that should have very easily been goals. They also had one that was maybe two inches away from being the goal of the year in the SEC. It was a wow. bar down from like 30 yards out. <laughs> like one of the more incredible things I'd ever seen. And it like just bounced out. Yeah, I mean, I, I missed that game. You were texting me like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because they just... It was frustrating. I yeah. turned it off at halftime. <laughs> wow. Um, were they were they, were they they tied at halftime? And you were just like, done? Yeah, they were tied oh at halftime. God. I knew the game was over at halftime. Because at a certain point, you know that they're just going to fold. Like, this was the one game of the season, I think, that they didn't win the possession battle, and it was so obvious. Right. I mean, they uh, Tennessee's obviously a good team. They're ranked 21 right now. And they're out of the SEC tournament, though, by the way. Lost to Georgia. There you go. I didn't. I actually wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So, I they'll they'll be in they'll be in the NCAA tournament. I mean, who knows if they meet them? Uh, unlikely, uh, just odds wise. Yeah. But um, but that would be cool. Um, get a little revenge game. So really, we didn't know what we were going to get coming in. Was it going to be another Mississippi State or a Tennessee per- performance? Yeah. And clearly, they showed up. I mean, I don't think you know they lost. It's they lost the shots battle. It seemed like they were staying in the game with Arkansas um, well enough to give them a chance, but that's all they needed. Yep. Arkansas didn't score from the run of play. They scored from a penalty, penalty kick. kick. Yeah. yeah. They they did what they needed to do, and they won. And at the end of the day, the win, a win is a win, and I'm not going to complain about it. I will say they probably should have gotten more shots on goal considering they won the possession battle again, but a win's a win. Yeah, and as we speak, the Alabama game is going on. What really worries me uh, is that so many people played 110 minutes in the Arkansas game. Just two days ago. Yeah, just two days ago. And looking at, like, how many people came off the bench, ignoring Kate Devine, three people. Three people came off the bench, which we talked about all year how deep the squad is. And I'm not saying that that wasn't – like, clearly it was the right move because you got the win. And it's hard to, to, like, playing the sport – it's really hard to come out of a game, especially in like extra time when you're just so involved. And so I think the players are probably happy that that happened. But like how many of the three, six, seven of them, seven of the 11 players played 110 minutes. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's a quick turnaround, especially against one of the best teams in the country, if not yeah. in recent history. Yeah. I think I they're ranked three right now in the country. But they've like yet to lose a game this season. Maybe Vanderbilt hands him it. I'm not super optimistic. Not in any way to insult Vanderbilt, but just Alabama has been that dominant all right. year. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't count them out, but like it's it's a little scary. The game is now underway, so I guess we'll know soon enough. Yep. But um, but a win here would again just prove prove to the to the odds makers that they've been wrong. They they've just finally gave Vanderbilt a vote, like an One. honorable mention. One, <laughs> One. vote. It boggles my mind. You guys have been calling that for that for weeks. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I think all season, man. Yeah, big picture, as I've been all year with soccer. Despite the Tennessee loss, Ambrose just yet again has his girls yeah. playing their best down the stretch. Gonna pull another NCAA tournament appearance, we think, out of out of the season when we weren't expecting that. Um, we'll see what happens tonight against Alabama, but 
I think, as you guys have alluded to, really exciting finish here at the SEC tournament. Another another good success for the soccer team. Um, finally, we're going to wrap up with just a little bit of football um, as as Vanderbilt plays against South Carolina this weekend. We've discussed, um, you know, off off audio that we think that Spencer Rattler is probably the second worst quarterback in the in the SEC. If 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 um, Brady Cook is your Davis Mills, Spencer Rattler is your Zach Wilson. I was just he's, about to say he's thrown uh, what is it two to one interceptions to, to touchdowns, almost that. Just about yeah. This year, um, rough season to so, say the so, least. So yeah, so so for Vanderbilt's poorest pass defense, it's going to be about about stopping him at, at quarterback and trying to make South Carolina, um, you know, get the run game involved or not get the run game involved. Sorry. Um, and, and then offensively, I think we've we've talked about it, like ad nauseum, you know, opening up this run game, trying to get your playmakers involved, whether it be Jade McGowan, whether it be um, Patrick Smith or some guys who haven't necessarily gotten the ball as much. Um, I, this, this defense for South Carolina is, is pretty mid. Um, A.J. Swan due for a bounce-back game. So. Yep. It's about time. Yep. I think, I, I, I think we've got, got a, their a recipe for success here against South Carolina. It's going to come down to – execution and, and the game plan that the Clark Lee and his staff have coming off a of bye week. Um, no, we were quite, kind of quick today with the football, but before we go, Aiden can't let you leave without without a little prediction here. I'm going to go Vanderbilt 24, South Carolina 22. Vanderbilt win? Prediction? Vanderbilt win. Vanderbilt wow. Okay, Aiden. Ways. You know, I'm perfect on the season other than when I predicted a Vanderbilt win at Mizzou, which was totally, you know, totally possible. But yep. um, you know what? To hell with it. I, I think we're going to go Vanderbilt 28, uh, South Carolina 24. We'll see you this weekend. Thanks for listening.